San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. I am Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you with 50,000 watts of power. We heard not just in San Diego County, Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. Down to Cabo is important tonight, actually. And uh, in the interest of time, I'm just going to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He's an accomplished marathon runner. He's an uh, accomplished author and a family office expert advising several high net worth families. His name is Richard Musil. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? Joe, I am doing marvelous. I just jetted in from Paradise, Hawaii, actually yeah. really bright and early this morning, and we're in Paradise. Uh, uh, another Paradise. As well. Yes, so. actually, this is our the seventh annual Very Good Night Dinner. We're coming to you on location, on site, from the magnificent estate of Michelle Ciccarelli Lirac and Bill Lirac. And uh, let's just get right to it. Uh, we have two guests per segment tonight, and uh, let's start with the host of the event. She's a retired attorney and an activist and an entrepreneur. She's the founder of the Berry Good Night Dinner and founder of the Berry Good Food Foundation, and her name is Michelle Lyric. Michelle, good to see you again. Thanks, Joe. It's glad to have you guys <laughs> back. This is year number four that we've recorded live here at yeah. the Berry Good Night Dinner. Yes. Uh, and I want to say again, three award-winning shows. Everyone That's until it. this one, we got to keep up the high level of performance. Yeah. Um, and I'm really excited to have with me my good friend who's been here at many of the Very Good Night dinners. And I forget, since the beginning? No, I don't even remember how many. This is my sixth. Six. Okay. Six, out, the seven. First one. Six okay. out of seven. That's a pretty good record. And uh, oh. she's also one of the board members on the Barry oh. Good Food Foundation. Yeah, sorry, Joe, I'm taking right. your cue. Well, that's right. Well, I'll just uh, explain who, who the other guest is this segment. Um, she spent 30 years as an executive and creative producer, uh, born in the States, spent most of her life in, in Europe, worked with the largest uh, cable companies uh, in Europe, reaching 17 countries, and then moved uh, back here in 02, bought 70 acres uh, south of the border, Guadalupe Valley in Mexico. And uh, her name is Eileen Gregory. Eileen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yes, we, we had your husband on as well. That's so. right. It was, is it Philip, Philip your husband? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, took the sailboat and landed in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> landed upside down in their yard. What a fascinating life and story. I mean, uh, they decided to come back to Mexico and, and uh, grow grapes and make wine and, and open up a beautiful boutique uh, hotel down there, the Grupo La, La Villa de, Del Valle, right? And it? restaurant, Corazón de Tierra, which is almost five years old. Exactly. Now, coming up very soon. Uh, for, our, uh, for our listeners, wh- where is that location f- to San Diego? Guadalupe Valley. It's two hours door-to-door from this very spot, Rancho La Jolla. That's what I can tell you. Okay. I've made it often. <laughs> very easy drive. An easy Not drive, bad. yeah. So it's just uh, Eileen, when, when did you open that up? How long ago? We opened in 2005. And in fact, May 20th, we celebrated 11 years as a restaurant. Uh, sorry, as the hotel and the winery. And the restaurant, which is called Sunday Tierra, in August will celebrate five years. That's oh, wonderful. Congratulations. So, Michelle, seventh annual dinner. This started out in 2010 with a handful of people. He had no idea that this was going to get this big, did you? I mean, tonight you're expecting 400 people. Yeah, at least. Uh, you know, look, look, the idea was let's create community. There's some amazing farmers, ranchers, vintners on both sides of the border, chefs, activists, Food critics, uh, artisans, scientists. Yeah, I mean, look. 
this is a community of people who care passionately about food, about mm -hmm. how it's grown, um, how it's prepared, what impact it has on, on our communities, on the environment, mm -hmm. you know, a holistic view of, of food and something that we think is very important. So let's have a dinner, have everyone come together and hang out and chat and... Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the ways in which I met Eileen, more or less. And um, and then we decided, you know, I mean, look, the dinner's phenomenal. And we continue to add more people, bring in new bodies, you know, raise the energy level. And then last year around this time, what we decided was, there, you know, we'd created a lot of community and energy. And we kind of needed to take that show on the road and really reach out to the larger com consuming community. Mm -hmm. And hence, the Very Good Food Foundation was born right. to really bring that message to eaters from little kids, community members, mm -hmm. college students, etc. So, you know, that's sort of what we're doing. What do, you what do you say about all that, Eileen? First of all, I have to say that Michelle is an absolute force of nature. <laughs> Isn't she, though? <laughs> She's extraordinary. But the whole dinner series that is now in its seventh year is something that Michelle did just because she wanted to. And my husband, Bill. And, right. yeah. <laughs> and Bill as well. So. Well, all the berries here. I mean, I mean we're sitting <laughs> He's on... He's a berry farmer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're sitting on a beautiful six-acre piece of land. You're probably one of those beautiful... It's, it's overlooking the, the Pacific Ocean. Yes, and uh, it's a farm. It's where Rancho La Jolla. There's people farm hang gliding above it. And and even Once was farmland. And even if there's uh, overcast, it's still beautiful. You, you know, you can't have a bad day uh, around here. But um, Michelle, give him an idea. Uh, I think Eileen was saying something. I'm sorry. Just give people. Sorry. I'm trying to give the listeners an idea of what's happening tonight. Yeah, how sure. many chefs and uh, just how the people have overtaken your property here with animals and and uh, yeah, and food. Uh, we have we have lots of farmers, uh, animals, uh, fresh produce. We have beers and wines. Um, some made specifically just for tonight. Mm -hmm. We have a liqueur that's made from fruit that couldn't and nuts that couldn't be sold otherwise. Um, we're going to talk about that in one of the segments later, what we call food waste. Um, and we have 25 to 40 chefs. To be honest, I'm not sure. All, do all <laughs> donating their time, though, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a communal event. Everybody participates in some meaningful way. They, they bring, they do, and or they talk about and generate energy. And that's what Eileen's here for. All of the above, she's brought bought her lovely sparkling rosé. She brings her energy, and she's... I think one of the most passionate people in this uh, group. So Eileen, you're also a board member of the foundation, is that yeah. correct? Yes, I am. Happily right. and luckily. Yeah. So now there's people don't know this, but the Mexican wines are getting quite, uh, uh, quite popular these days, aren't they? Mexican wines are extraordinarily popular within Mexico, of course, mm -hmm. but recently we've gained a lot of fame both in the United States and in Europe as well. We've mm -hmm. been doing a lot of exporting from Mexico here in San Diego and farther afield. So Mexican wines can now be found not only in California, but in Arizona, in North Carolina, New Chicago, York. New York. Yes, we had our wine at um, Cosme, Michelle and I. Now your brand is Vena Cava. Vena Cava. Vena Cava. Okay. Can I just talk a little bit about the uh, the, the evening tonight? So, please, please. So for if you don't mind me talking for you, because Michelle is obviously the creator and the creative and the logistic. I, I call her CIO, Chief Inspiration Officer, but that's uh, for another discussion. <laughs> well, she is that, but she's also very hands-on, so it's yeah. not just that right. she's the keeper of the vision. She's right. actually the person that makes sure that the vision gets actuated. So 
the idea for me is that this is a wonderful event where people that are all interested in what goes on in terms of local food, sustainable food, the farmers who are the people that we really need to be celebrating because those are the people that are actually keeping us healthy, keeping the land healthy, mm -hmm. keeping the whole of San Diego as an area that we can all be really proud of. 10,000 farms, right? Exactly. And they are the unsung heroes. So I think that one of Michelle's first ideas was to throw a party for the farmers mm -hmm. so that the chefs who are all super rock stars and the chefs that come here absolutely are. It was Michelle's cafe gratitude for the farmers, I think. So. Well, I think, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. <laughs> Look, we, we have more farms per capita than anywhere in the United States, but we really don't think of ourselves as a farm community, we and I really don't. wanted to change that. And yeah. quite No farms, no food. Yeah. And we forget that. And better food comes from the farms, the smaller farms that are in our community. And right. uh, we need to know about them we need to support them and um, promote them yeah. as much as we can and that is what it's about and to support them we need to know what guys that support should take so oh. the dialogue that gets opened here is what's really important yeah. for everybody in this community because yeah. instead of acting in isolation in the little area that we're in you know obviously our concerns are very cross-border and I think that there are a lot of opportunities for us to help here and mm -hmm. conversely for us to be helped by what goes on in San Diego. And basically we are the same area, it's just a line drawn arbitrarily in mm -hmm. the sand and suddenly we're just two different countries. But basically we're the same, we're the same people, we're the same um, geographical situation. Mm -hmm. So. I think, by and large, what I would say that what we really need to be concentrating on is aggregating this very active, very enthusiastic, very committed and inspired community, mm -hmm. letting, giving them a forum so that they can exchange ideas and come up with a platform of the things that we really need to do. And forging new relationships here, which... Uh one of which is being uh, Greg Cook finding his wife, for God's sake. So. <laughs> well, that's what it's really about. Not to it's mention a, business. It's a dating service. There have been a lot service. of relationships created <laughs> at this dinner. I will say no more. It's building relationships <laughs> anyway, of any kind. Anyway, we're coming up on my break right now. But thank you so much, Eileen, for joining us. Eileen Gregory and uh, Michelle Lirak. And we're going to take a little bit break. We'll come right back with more great stuff from the Barry Goodnight Dinner 7th Annual. Hang on. Thank you. AM 760 KFMB. All right, we're back at the Very Good Night Dinner, 7th Annual, with the founder, Michelle Lirak. Michelle, welcome back. Thanks, Joe. And uh, in this segment, we're going to focus on food waste, and you have two expert guests uh, as well. Uh, first off, we have uh, Ellie Brown. She's the director of the San Diego Food uh, System Alliance. And welcome to the show, Ellie. Thank you so much. And uh, also with her, Kala Rose Ostrander, who worked with... Uh, Gavin Newsom when he was mayor of San Francisco, correct? That's right. And a specialist uh, also in the, what, what is your area of expertise? Why don't you just tell our audience? Oh, well, I advise individuals and nonprofits uh, who are committed to stabilizing Earth's climate. Wonderful, wonderful. So I guess Michelle wanted this segment to be about food waste and focus on that. So uh, what were your main questions? So for look, uh, this, is a, this is a huge issue uh, around the globe, uh, across our nation, and clearly in our own community. And 
the situation is a, a tremendous amount of food gets wasted in this country. The statistics are anywhere from 40 to 50 percent of the food that's grown gets thrown away. And that's food that could be utilized in so, uh, so many ways that are, are better than simply putting it in our landfills and creating a problem. Uh, and we wanted to talk about it because it's, it's something we're focusing on at the event today. Mm -hmm. We have five different kinds of waste disposal. We have certain kinds of uh, plant-based paper-looking uh, products that we can break down to soil on site. We have corn-based ones that we can break down. Then we have vegetable waste, which can go to compost. And we even segregated the two parts of animal waste. Look, we hope there's no waste at all. We mm. hope everything gets, that was created and grown for tonight is eaten by the people that are here. And what is left, if there is any, uh, we want to ultimately utilize to its full extent. And so there's a whole cross-section there. So that's the one thing about the party here tonight. And then the foundation, we do a series of panels. Um, uh, on a series of topics that really are about the intersection of food and the environment. This year we for started with soil, we just completed meaty issues, and the next one for us on the agenda is on food waste in August. So we thought it would be good to let the listeners really understand what is food waste, what does it mean, what can I do about it, how bad is the situation? So mm -hmm. what do you want to say about that, Ellie? Well, I think the idea that we're really trying to encourage is that food waste is actually a valuable resource for people, animals, and soil. So, so really, in in my coalition and also other zero waste advocates, uh, you know, really believe that there is no such thing as waste when it comes to food. So, I, I commend you for all the work that you're doing at this event to Likewise. make sure that it's a zero waste event, mm -hmm. um, and also that we need to place more value on food after we purchase it. I think we make a lot of value decisions when we're purchasing the food, but often gets lost in our fridge and forgotten. So, so there's a lot we can do as consumers to make sure that we're really utilizing the food and and furthermore reallocating that that money that household expenditure that's going straight into garbage cans so that we're, we're purchasing better food supporting I our like, local economy. I like what you said earlier this idea that you know like when you buy food that's cheap you're more likely to simply toss it and not complete it because it has had less value to you but then when you figure out if you spend a, a dollar and you throw away 25 every time of the 25 cents of that dollar that you're really you could buy better food and not waste it and get yeah. you know right I, I think that's less, fantastic. Less is more quality and less quantity. That's what tonight's about, and exactly. that's clearly something we should all be guided by. And exactly. probably buy less things in, in bags and, ca and cans and boxes and buy more things uh, in the produce section, right? They say the, the periphery of the store is where you should be looking, not, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, a huge amount of our waste, and we, we don't even talk about it when, when it comes to the food system, is all of the packaging that goes into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's an incredible amount of energy and resources and, and water that go into packaging, and then also to the food itself. And then whole industrial process is incredibly wasteful. So the more you can buy products that are fresh, that have not gone through a long process, uh, that don't come in a lot of packaging, they're so much better for the environment, and they're also so much better for you. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a win-win here. So when we're talking about food waste, I think we really, really have to talk about, you know, decisions about what we value, which is why it was so great to have this conversation with you two ladies and, and take, a step, uh, take a step back and say we have what we need. You just have to be able to find it 
and then know what to do with it when you get it. Well, what's how much food are we putting in landfills right now uh, oh annually in the United States? Yeah, I mean, they currently farm to fork 40% of the food that's mm-hmm. produced. Goes and we're to having landfill. methane problems, they think, right methane now. Methane and yeah. resources that are spent on producing the food. Yeah. So well. the first thing is, you know, you know, get 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 a good portion, eat what you get, right? Uh, buy good food. Um, the second thing is, if you have something left, then put it to its best use. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about. And there's a pyramid of best use. You want to talk about that, Ellie? People, animals, and soil. So in the county alone, there's uh, a lot of people that's food insecure. One in seven people in the county are food insecure. So we want to encourage businesses to donate as much mm-hmm. as possible. And there's law that protects them from liability if, if they donate. And they don't know about that a lot of times. So we can, we can ask our businesses that we go to restaurants and grocery stores, hey, do you guys donate? And do you also compost? Mm-hmm. These are simple questions that we can ask the to change the system here locally, but also animals and soil. And we know that compost has a lot of great benefits to our environment, which Kelly Rose can talk about as well. Mm-hmm. Well, for, for composting, can the apartment owner or apartment renter or the condo owner, uh, can, we, can they do that at home? Because uh, I, don't, I don't think people do that. And the garbage disposal, you know, that's probably something we should get away from, right? Right. Well, you know, composting right now is city by city. Different mm-hmm. cities do it different ways. San Francisco diverts 80% of its waste away from landfills. San Diego is just getting caught up to that, and there's a lot of movement. People are really looking for that. If you don't have curbside composting, uh, you can actually do it in your backyard if you have a yard. There's a lot of good bins out there that you can get. It's going to be a great product for you your garden. community gardens. Maybe they should have community compost. You know, that's one thing that we're working on in L.A. is idea. making the community gardens community compost sites so people can come by on their bikes and drop stuff off. There's actually L.A. Compost already does that. It's a great that function is, up that there. That is a great idea. But this is going to have to start happening yeah. really everywhere across the state because people there do it. Are, is, you know, there's some new laws in effect that are really going to cause, a, you know, we already understand that we segregate regular trash from mm-hmm. our recyclables but now we're adding in a third component which is organic matter mm-hmm. and then we would actually say well we need to take it further than that which is segregate the organic matter in but first to humans and animals and then compost instead of wow. simply taking that whole organic pile and putting it in the biofuel if we could figure out some kind of financial incentive or even some tax relief or something for people who do that or uh, you know i know electronic waste gets you know you get paid by the pound uh and it comes out to quite a bit for so maybe we, if we could figure out a way to to incentivize people to do it in addition for just, just the you know sustainability yeah, factor. Yeah, it's a great Absolutely. point. In San Francisco, what we did was we tiered the rate structure. So for waste pickup, you paid for your black bin. So everything that was going to landfill, you paid for that. And for the blue bin, your recyclables, you paid a little bit less, and your green bin was free. Huh. And that's the way we incentivized it. Uh. So at the end of the day, we really want to see big green and blue bins and really small little black bins hmm. going out there. And and that's something that can be um, done at the municipal level. You know, mm-hmm. cities can negotiate those contracts. Get you put that in place, and then the ratepayer benefits from doing the right thing. Yeah. From the business perspective, there are incentives to donating. Um, farms have a donation incentives for donating. There's a lot of uh, parameters that that makes it hard. So the green bins are really going to be really expensive until we change the rate structure. But in order to avoid putting all that stuff in the green bin, they can donate, and then they can reduce the source of the, 
the food to begin with. That's mm. more on well, the business level. And I would say to the listeners, look, you know, what we're talking about is where we want to be. We would like to have this system in San Diego more like it is in LA or even San Francisco mm -hmm. and say, call your local uh, decision makers and, and let them know that you think this is important because we can feed the hungry people in our community. We can reduce the amount of methane and other gases that we're releasing into the atmosphere. We can reduce the cost for animals and raising animals and make them healthier. And we can also restore our soil and have it sequester and capture more carbon. I mean, th there's no downside, mm. right? So we just need to take the steps to make it happen. Huh. Absolutely. Thanks for exactly. saying that. Right now, we're in a really crucial budget time with the state. So if you know your state senator or your assembly member, give them a call and let them know that food waste matters to you because there are some big incentives the state's considering right now putting out to cities to help with this. There's huh. money on, there's money, that's right, that's being considered specifically to help communities respond. Thank you for raising that. Um, and, you know, it, there's a struggle as there always is in any budget negotiation. And we, we really do need to have this money go uh, toward this cow recycle program so that really people and businesses are incentivized to, you know, move forward in this. Mm -hmm. So we're about one minute left here. But, um, Ellie, uh, the um, San Diego Food System Alliance, SDFSA.org, uh, what do they do? We're a coalition that's focused on creating a better food environment in San Diego through mm. collaboration and policy change. So what Michelle mentioned, Cal Recycle and other policy opportunities to help improve our local food system here in San Diego. Um, I'm really excited that we're talking about food waste here at the Berry Good Dinner because mm. I believe the dinner is all about uh, connecting us better to the producers and the food makers in all our right. food system. Well, and, you know, we're going to talk about in our next segment yeah. the real cost of food and find out why is cheap food, right. so che bad food cheap and good food yeah. less cheap, okay? But we have to wrap it right there. Thank you so much to Ellie Brown uh, with the uh, San Diego Food System Alliance and also to Kala Rose Ostrander, who is a, uh, a strategic advisor. A in repeat this, guest. And a repeat guest. Joe, uh, it's great to see you. Yeah, thank you so much. We're coming right back uh, with more thank from you. the Very Good Night Dinner Hang on. AM 760 KFMB. All right, we're back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is the time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. But I'm going to thank them really, really quickly, Joe, because of the dinner. So in order, with no comments, UBS, Signature Analytics, Polito Epic CPAs, Cost Segregation Initiatives, Brenda Geiger with Geiger Law Office, California Republic Bank, Hub International, formerly known as Mars Maddox Insurance, LG Experience and the Lombardi Group, Hearthstone Private Wealth Management with Paul Hines, who heads up the SeniorSafeAndSound.org initiative, Worldwide Credit with Nathan Watkins, and for those of you who are starving like us because there's all this great food around. <laughs> well, there's also Lestat's Coffee Houses about to open their third location, and of course the Very Good Food Foundation, and we are back at the 7th Annual Very Good Night Dinner with two more great guests. And in this segment, we're going to focus on the real cost of food. And uh, one of our guests is the owner of the Red Door Restaurant and Wine Bar in Wellington Steak and Martini Lounge up there in beautiful Mission Hills. And her name is Trish Watlington. Trish, welcome back to the show. I think you've been on with us before, right? I have been on with you before, and thank you so much. I'm happy to be back. Excellent. And, and Trish, for the record, I need your recipe to your biscuits and gravy. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see her, you have to see her at the break, Richard. Chef Miguel is here, actually. Okay. You can wander out and ask him. Yeah. Okay. But uh, good luck with that, Richard. A lot of times they're very protective of their of their uh, proprietary information. But uh, also in this segment, we have... Um, uh, the Deputy Director of Food and Technology at Friends of the Earth, 
That's foe.org, and it's Kari Hammerschlag. And you back, welcome back to the show. Thank you, and well said on my name. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yavol. <laughs> anyway, I know my, uh, Michelle wanted us to focus on the uh, the real cost of food. In, Th- this in is the financial part of the show, Joe. Yes, absolutely. So, basically, explain to people, you know, why good food costs more, and, and uh, cheap food probably isn't that good for us. Uh, do you want to, do you want to start with that? Um, I, I think I should let Kari start. Okay. Why good food costs more? Well, why why do we have so much cheap food in in this country? So, in Americans spend less as a percentage of our income on food than any country on the planet, practically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're we're used to cheap food, and it didn't always used to be that way. In the 1960s, we spent about a third of our income on food, and now it's less than 10 percent. And part of that is our policy. It's our agricultural policies, which mm-hmm. are subsidizing the production of cheap, raw ingredients for, for processed food and, and factory farm meat and dairy. So we have big subsidies for commodity crops like corn and soy uh, that are the raw ingredients for the junk food. And they and, have and big, the strong meat. lobbies in Washington. Big, strong they? lobbies in Washington. And, and in contrast, you know, support for organic, healthy fruits and vegetables are very, very little support uh, in terms of policy support for, for those healthy foods. So, of course, that's one reason, but that's not the only reason, but that's an important one. Let me ask you about schools a little bit. I know it's not on the topic here, but are we getting better about the quality of food in our schools uh, at the grade school and high school levels? I mean, you do hear some schools tearing out lawns, putting in gardens, and, and kids getting more into farming and growing things. But are we getting the And so- taking out vending yeah. machines? So, now, so- Richard's with the Barry. He's got his own foundation works on this, too. But uh-huh. have we finally gotten the soft drinks out of the schools yet? I mean, I don't even know. Can anyone, does anyone know here? Or maybe, maybe it's the wrong audience. I don't know. Well, <laughs> let me see say that that in terms of food in school we have a long way to go but we've made great progress thanks to Michelle Obama's great work and a lot of other folks who Mm -hmm. have pushed for for new policies in Washington it's one of the one of the biggest I think important gains that we've seen in our food policy that we doubled the amount of fruits and vegetables that kids have on their plates at schools across the whole country Mm -hmm. and actually that bill right now is um, being being kind of demolished by the Republicans in, in Congress, um, we're we're trying to keep keep it keep it as strong as we can. But mm-hmm. the, the we did we have seen increases in, in fresh fruits and vegetables, so that's that's that's, that's positive. There's definitely progress, but lots more. You know, if you go over to Europe, it's probably a lot. I saw a documentary recently about uh, in France how they the kids in the grade school. I mean, they actually have chefs in the school. <laughs> the Ma- school giving Mike, the, Michael Morris. Yeah, that was the one. Where to invade next? Right. I know Dave's seen it a few times, right? <laughs> well, we, and we've we've gone so far backwards because when I was growing up, we actually did have chefs and cooks in our kitchens, and everything was made from scratch in the schools, and kids got real food. And now, it's t- way too much of it comes in processed containers, and it's already processed. I was reading something the other day about um, uh, someone who wanted who was trying to bring back white milk to the breakfast menus of schools and and the teachers and the kids were protesting that they wanted chocolate milk <laughs> for breakfast wow. for breakfast oh my gosh and I remember when I went to grade, there was a home economics. I don't think, I think it was just for the girls. I don't know if they let guys in the class. Uh, do you remember home in, economics? In my, in my high school, guys could take home ec. I think they should teach kids yeah. how to cook. I mean, it's a it's a good tool to, to have. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with uh, learning how to cook at an early age, you know. 
more and more schools are putting in school gardens. That's actually become quite popular. And I don't know, you know, I think it's making an impact because kids are actually able to see where food comes from mm -hmm. and learning that it doesn't just come on a styrofoam tray that, you know, you can well, grow it. And lurking underneath all this is the obesity issue, which, is, um, you know, wasn't asked, well, but obviously yeah, and it's Yeah, and also the type 2 diabetes issue. Yeah. Right. So. so, yeah, so people think that they're getting cheap food, but the reality is it costs a lot. It's they pay for it dearly. Down in, the line. In, down mm -hmm. the line. So mm -hmm. you either pay now or you pay later, but you're going to pay for it. And, you know, a lot of the true cost of food is being externalized, and we pay for it in terms of rising rates of obesity and other health you know, other diet-related diseases that mm -hmm. are, you know, 75% of all the, all the healthcare costs come from diet-related um, illness. illness. Uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's preventable. It's not all diet. It's some exercise and, mm -hmm. and lifestyle, but it's preventative. And, and, and healthy food, like fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables are very protective. Mm -hmm. Whereas factory farm meat and dairy, if you eat too much, you're going to have higher rates of diabetes, heart disease, and isn't obesity. And isn't sugar and fructose and... Uh, just about that everything, <laughs> right? Corn, and where does that corn, come from? Corn starch yeah. comes yeah. from the corn, which yeah. is subsidized, and and then there's a lot of environmental costs too. So that's the other piece that yeah. you have to, you know. Well, well and the and the crops that we grow have changed over time, also. I mean, when hundreds of years ago, corn was actually had a high nutritional value. Now it's been genetically modified, hybrid. Yeah. changed so that it is there's it's, more it's lots of yeah. lots of starch and not much nutrition yeah the biodiversity is under attack and um so i, I hear what you're saying um so qu question how do we educate the public uh, so that they're more willing to pay shall we say more money for better food i mean obviously that it's a fairly simple concept to say that the value is much much greater but a lot of people only look at price um, we're doing it because we're starting a community-supported restaurant project in our restaurant that um, is going to offer classes and special dinners and make more of a community and more education available to the public. So uh, on our very small scale, that's how we're doing it. I think it's a, a, a grassroots I Much think, of it is yeah. a grassroots kind and of I, movement. I, I, and I think some of the big box stores are actually have organic. Uh, they're ser they're uh, serving or uh, providing marketing uh, organic foods. Uh, we're seeing more of that. I don't want to name names, but uh, you know, when I say big box, you probably know what I'm thinking of. But uh, <laughs> well, but then then one has to question where the organic food comes from, because not only are we paying for for are we paying for um, cheap food with our health, but we're also paying for it with the demise of the planet. Yeah. And so, um, organic is certainly better, but organic is not necessarily, you know, large-scale agricultural organic is not necessarily better, at least for the sake of the workers and mm -hmm. and the distance that the product travels. So, mm -hmm. Right, but it can be done really well, and particularly in San Diego, you've got the largest number of organic farms and small farms, and, and you know, when you pay the price of organic, you're paying for healthy soils, you're paying for healthy, clean water, you're paying for more abundant water, because when you farm organically, you create soils that can hold the water, you're paying for not poisoning the pesticides in the farmers, um, you know, you're paying basically the real cost of the food and it's better for all of us and when you buy organic meat you're not getting the antibiotics and the hormones and when you buy factory farm meat you're getting the antibiotics and the hormones that are giving rise to antibiotic resistance which you know so 22,000 people die every year so the farmer mar farmers markets that are popping up uh, more and more would you recommend that's a good place where people should uh, should visit uh, weekly or 
Highly, mm-hmm. highly recommend that. And one of the things that you get out of visiting a farmer's market is not only local organic food, but you also reduce the food waste problem because um, large-scale farms throw out a lot of food because it's not standard size. Hmm. And food that's sold in a farmer's market doesn't need to be standard size like it does in a grocery store. Huh. And, and the other issue I see is just the huge transportation cost and gasoline cost and so on to transport food. It is tremendously wasteful. There you go. But um, anyway, uh, Trish Watley, we have to wrap it up. We're coming up on our, another breaker. But uh, owner of Red Door Restaurants and Wellington Steak and Martini Lounge, Trish Watley, thanks for being our guest this segment. Thank and you. also Kari Hammerschlag, uh, Dep- Deputy Director of Food and Technology at Friends of the Earth, FOE.org. All these websites will be on our site, by the way, folks, at iwaymoney.com. We'll come right back more uh, back with another segment from the Very Good Night Dinner. Hang on. All right, we're back on location at the 7th Annual Very Good Night Dinner at beautiful La Jolla Farms here at the estate of Bill and Michelle Lirac. So, Joe, last segment. I'm getting hungry. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting out there. Live music, live animals, uh, 400 people have taken over the place. It's uh, it's really magnificent. But uh, I know in this segment, uh, Michelle wanted us to focus on farmer sustainability, and we have two experts uh, in that area. We have with us uh, probably the founding, uh, the queen bee of, uh, of uh, farmers markets here in San Diego, the CEO of San Diego Markets, and uh, many people have know the name of it's Cat White. Cat, welcome to the show. Thank you, and I don't think that Rich has much to worry about in terms of being hungry. Uh, as, soon as, you, as soon as you bust out of that door, you've got a lot to choose from down there. 20, 30, what, 25 chefs offering right. their, their wares out there. And then also uh, this segment we have uh, with Tara Bella Ranch in Duluth Valley, an agribusiness owner of Farm to Office, uh, Jeff Alves. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So we want to talk about farmer sustainability in this segment. And um, uh, what can you tell us about uh, that particular area in terms of, uh, you know, how they're doing and, and uh in that, in, that, in that regard, so. Sure, yeah, sustainability is really important, um, especially when we think of local family farms staying in business and staying in practice with whatever their craft may be. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a multi-generational family um, of farmers, and so does my wife, and I think sometimes uh, it's, it's getting harder and harder for some families to keep that business going. Um, mm-hmm. I come from a family of dairy farmers, and that's a really tough business. Um, I've kind of ventured off and started farming with uh, some of my wife's family, and we're keeping that multi-generational farm going. And I think uh, you just have to get really creative in wanting to work with multiple generations to keep sustainability going. And not a lot of farms have that opportunity. And I think... Uh, when you're, if there's someone that's young that wants to be in agriculture, we need to kind of grasp those opportunities. I'm not sure the exact number, but I think the average age of the farmer is in their 50s. It's like 52, 53. I think it's actually 62. Okay, so 62. So so that was when I was back in college, so it's been a little while, so uh, it's probably getting older. So I think a big part for me looking at sustainability is really maximizing how you can keep a younger generation involved in farming. Well, you're pretty young. You're like, what, 28 or so or what? Uh, Thank you. I'm 32. (laughs) Get out of here, really. Yeah. (laughs) It's all that good food, you see. 
It's the but Portuguese <laughs> blood, baby. Now, where, where is the Luz Valley, uh, real quick? It's nestled. It's a beautiful farming region nestled right in between Fallbrook and Temecula. Gotcha. So it's right at North County, right on the county line. And you have how many acres, and what do you raise up there? Um, it's our grandpa- Our grandparents still live on the ranch. Um, we do all fruit trees um, out on that ranch, and uh, there's about 50 acres in production. It's a over 200-acre ranch, though, out in Duluth. And so peaches, pears, and what? Uh, avocados, um, citrus, figs, grapes, a lot of specialty types of crops, more tropical-type fruits. Um, and we also partnered with, uh, we have family farms up in Northern California doing nuts and dried fruits as well. Wonderful. Do, you, do you have wells on your property or what's your story with water? Uh, yeah, water's a big issue. Um, we're pretty fortunate on our ranch out in Duluth. There's a, uh, a big natural body of water that we're able to irrigate from, but there is uh, certain months throughout the year where we're paying those high ag fees and San Diego County, of course, has the highest in the in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, the farms up in Northern California, a whole other story, much more difficult yeah, uh, issue with ground storage water. Um, so uh, that's definitely something that's a big issue. Uh, there, each farm kind of takes on its own is its own beast, and being a part of multiple farms, I uh, definitely have had firsthand experience with that. But uh, water's definitely, you know, we're always doing the rain dance for sure. But mm-hmm. storage water is a big part of that. We, if you don't have the infrastructure to contain water, um, you're not going to really be able to capture water and save it and use it to your best yeah. best source. Kat, in your experience, obviously you deal with a lot of vendors, a lot of farmers. How is uh, sustainability? How are things trending uh, uh, with with those uh, vendors and, and their ability to maintain their businesses? You know, it's tough here in California, and uh, Jeff and his family have done a tremendous job in terms of looking for new avenues to sell their produce. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of direct marketing. They're in farmers markets where they can sell direct to the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been very creative in terms of creating farm to office, which delivers directly to offices, restaurants, that kind of thing. They really have to look for creative ways to sell. And Jeff, um, I don't want to imply that it's easy for them, but he's he is a multi-generational farmer, so he's on land that has been in that family for a long time. When you talk about farmers' ages trending up, mm-hmm. being at 62, 63 now, it's because there, we actually have a, a good, strong desire in California for new farmers to go into that business, even though it's a hard business. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of passion there. Yeah. Um, Jeff and his wife have been really involved with Future Farmers of America. There's a pool of people that wants to go there, but but take somebody that's not even in Jeff and Nicolina's situation that has to buy land in San Diego County and they're bidding against developers. Mm. Tough, tough thing. This is a very high cost land area. Yeah. So trying well, to yeah, almost the entire state is. Yeah, exactly. No, all of California is facing this, and and also the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. same situation. You know, mm. and unless you're in the middle of the country where you're selling corn, it's tough to get a hold of land to grow here. So we do everything we can in terms of working with our farmers and our vendors that use farmers' crops and ingredients in their in the artisan foods that they create to try and help them think outside the box, find different ways to get directly to the consumers. Anytime they can sell directly to consumers mm-hmm. as opposed to going through a distributor, we have mm-hmm. terrific distributors here in San Diego. We've got some really high yeah. integrity guys distributing produce, but they still have to make a living too. So anytime the farmer is selling to them and then the distributor is taking their cut, that's a little bit money, less money than the farmers Which putting in their Which is why pocket. the farmers markets are so important. We of were course. just plugging them. So mm-hmm. um, uh, but, but, I know you have Little Italy. Do you just want to plug some of the, the more popular ones? Go for sure. it. Sure. I yeah. mean, we. I run the uh, largest farmer's market in San Diego County, Little Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one that comes close, and 
depends if you want to talk about what the largest market is in San Diego County, you can talk to me and it's Little Italy, or you can talk to that liar Dave Larson that runs Hillcrest. He'll <laughs> 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 uh, tell you it's Hillcrest. Kidding, love yeah. Dave, but we're but we probably go neck and neck in terms yeah. of the f- largest markets. But so, there's actually almost 60 farmers markets in San Diego County. I was going to ask you, wow, week. yeah, that's, lots and lots of markets. Now that's come a long way, right? It's great. Our North Park market is uh, we just changed locations to an easier to get to location, better foot traffic, and mm. it's in a matter of two months has gone from one block to two and we're getting ready to expand to three. That's on a weekday, Thursday afternoon. We get a lot of chefs. We get a lot of uh, shoppers out there. And if they want more information, sdweeklymarkets.com, right? That'll That's, work. You know, yeah. so but but question, how do we bring farmers to the city? I mean, can we grow crops on tops of condominiums? Can we grow things up the side of buildings? I mean, what can you do? You can do some mm-hmm. of that and it's an interesting quandary because most urban farming uh, is really designed to be hydroponic. There's some back and forth on whether that's real farming. I'm going to do those yeah. um, air air quotes there. Yeah. Um, it's certainly a wave of the future in one degree, uh, but there are people that believe that if you're not getting the nutrients from the dirt, it's not exactly the same as what, what you do when you do hydroponic, mm-hmm. but it, it's certainly a great avenue. The other part of that, though, is looking at the whole... Um, food not lawns kind of movement so mm-hmm. that that vast swath of grass at the the San Diego County building down near my little Italy market mm-hmm. um, why isn't that tomatoes or lettuce or squash or something instead of mm-hmm. grass so city, when we've got limited college. water yeah. you know, why aren't we using yeah. it for food yeah city college ripped out some of their lawn they did put some gardens in yeah they've done a nice job you're actually. seeing more and more schools do that I think so yeah, that, it's a great thing that's a nice thing to see but um, how about unforeseen pests or something like that. I mean, that could really uh, wreak havoc, right? Uh, and uh, cost, right? So Sure. Um, yeah, like, uh, farmers are business people, you know, they, it's, but it's a little bit more of a, literally, they bear the seasons, you know, and they're uh, one of their greatest business partners. I always, we say in our family is Mother Nature, so you have to work with Mother Nature, and that's a very unpredictable mm-hmm. relationship. She's and it, moody. Yeah, she could be very <laughs> moody, you know? I mean, it's not someone you want to really upset. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's uh, lots of unforeseen challenges that farmers have versus some other entrepreneurial paths that other mm-hmm. business people may go down. And uh, weather pests, you know, there's a lot of outside, uh, certain outside forces that could play um, an impact on that. And so uh, you have to be prepared for that. And I think one of the greatest ways you could do that is to be a diversified farmer, especially nowadays. Um, if you put all your eggs in one basket, um, no pun intended, but <laughs> if you are focusing all on just one crop and you do have pests that attack that one crop or something unforeseen um, attack that crop, well, there goes your whole business. So if you diversify and have different avenues, different crops, you know, Kat mentioned think outside the box, mm-hmm. you have to get creative. And for farmers, you have to think outside the field, outside the orchard sometimes um, huh. with creative ways to diversify your operation. So, so are small farms going away or being consolidated? Because I know if you don't have certain enough, you know, land, I mean, it's it, it's a huge challenge. No, um, San Diego County is a really unique uh, place. We are one of the number one counties, if not the number we one. I'm not the number, the number one, one county for farms. small farms. Yeah. yeah. That's um, what I hear. So there, I don't think small farms are going away. If anything, I think that there's going to be a great potential for them to grow. Yeah. Anyway, we've got to wrap it right there. But thank you so much, Cat White, with uh, the, the farmers markets all over town here, and Jeff Alves with Tarabella Ranch. And um, we got to wrap it up. So Richard, thank you, and thank you, Michelle Lyric, and the very good night dinner. 
Seventh annual. We're on site here. Thanks to Dave Sniff, our program director, who's on site with us on this beautiful six-acre estate overlooking the ocean. And uh, thanks to Craig Blank, our con executive. All these podcasts are on iwaymoney.com, and you can get all these websites for all our guests tonight. Thank them all. There are too many to thank. So we'll see you next week, and take care. Good night now. AM 760 KFMB.